are listening to the Devil's Talking Potters podcast for East Village Times. Coming to you from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication, here are your hosts, Dominic Stern and Bobby Murphy. Welcome to Devil's Talking Padres. The Padres were just swept at course Field by the Colorado Rockies, who entered this series with the third worst record in the National League. And the Padres, they continue to stay cold. It was pretty frustrating watching that series. Bobby, what were your thoughts? We'll get to our guest in a little bit, but what were your thoughts? Because I mean, this was just ugly. It was hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, just everything about it was ugly. The bats, I mean, the first two games were on. Turned up in the last game this afternoon on Wednesday, but it was really hard series to watch. Pitching was not good. I know we're obviously at course or we're at course field uh, where it is obviously a lot different, but I mean, just everything this series was just tough to watch um, from just the hit into the pitching for most of it. It was just another tough series and we got swept by the Rockies. Yeah, it was rough. And I mean, I don't really know what else to say other than, yeah, I mean, it just sucked. And all three of these games, they presented three different ways that the Potters were able to lose. So I think that makes it a little bit more frustrating because the Potters are trying to work around their problems, but they couldn't quite do it. And so we'll welcome in Evan Anderson, um, a fellow writer at East Village Times. He is a returning guest. We had him on at some point last season. So we decided to bring back Evan for an episode this time around. It's not a very fun episode to, to bring someone on, but nonetheless, Evan, how are you doing? Welcome back to the podcast. And what were your thoughts on this horrible series from the Padres? Well, just like you guys, I'm not in a good mood. That was embarrassing to say the least. And the worst part about this whole schedule or the whole sweep was after the Mets loss or after losing the series to the Mets and then getting that final win, uh, they're like, we thought that going to Colorado altitude all that fun stuff we're just gonna hit we're gonna be back we're gonna be good and the exact opposite happened pretty much yeah the the course it was supposed to be a good hitter friendly environment and i mean it was for one team in the series but the potters offense just couldn't get it going and then when they did on wednesday the the pitching staff and i mean really just blake snell let them down and we'll talk about all that in the rest of that stuff uh, in a little bit, but let's talk about the beginning of the series. We'll go game by game here, as we normally do here on Double Stocking Padres. Game one, Padres drop to the Rockies three to two. They're down three nothing, and then in the ninth inning, they scored two runs off closer Daniel Bard to at least make it close. You know, the the Padres did their classic reel you in to make you feel like you could win this ball game, but they uh, they ultimately did not. Uh, Manny Machado and Brandon Tatis Jr. cannot come up clutch after Trent Grisham hit a two run bomb. And also, Lamette was pretty good in this game. Four innings pitched, one earned run, and then Ryan Weathers came in in relief. Uh, they went with the Leathers combination or Lamette, as, uh, as some people might say. I, I personally like Leathers. It just has a better flow. And together, they combined for seven innings, two earned runs, which at Coors Field is really good. And it's really a shame that the Padres weren't able to get a win in that situation. But we'll start with our guest, Evan, here. Evan, what were your thoughts on this game? I mean, just like I said before, the bats couldn't get going. We had five hits all game. Tommy Pham has been great. Trent Grisham, I'm loving that one-two combo at the front end of the order. But 
the rest of the team, where did they go? This is, I think you guys have mentioned on your last podcast, aside from Austin Nolaby now, this is the lineup that we had coming to the season. This lineup has helped us be ranked uh, number one in a lot of power rankings. And it suddenly disappeared right now. I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode, how good Gomber has been against us this year. And he went eight innings shutout. And he was phenomenal. Lamette and Weathers both looked very good too. But scoring two runs in cores will never get you a win. And we just weren't able to hit, uh, of course, except for Grisham's home run in the ninth inning. But, I mean, we allowed some late runs. Uh, it was obviously a close game the entire time. But that the bats were off. Pitching was great. But Gomber was absolutely phenomenal this game. And Gomber didn't really miss any bats. In eight innings, he only had four strikeouts. So he, he was just getting soft contact. And I, I think that's been a trend for the Padres in the first game of these series uh, on these road trips. I mean, you think about the games in Chicago, the games in New York, which obviously that was Jacob deGrom. You think about the game in Houston, even the Padres, the offense was quiet the entire game, and then two late home runs from the offense got them into it. And that was kind of the same case here. The Potters, they, they've looked tired. They don't have any energy and that carried over as they didn't score in the first state innings of this game. Couple of, you know, close calls in the field, some one run innings from the Rockies late ended up costing the Potters the game because the two runs of the ninth inning, they weren't able to overcome the deficit. So yeah, very unfortunate for the Padres, but you're not going to win a lot of games with five hits. Uh, but three of them came from the top two guys. And then Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr., they ended up going 0 for 4. Well, and then Eric Hosmer went 0 for 3. I mean, when you're three through five hitters end up going a combined 0 for 11, you're not going to win many games. And Eric Hosmer needs to stop hitting fifth. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. We'll go deeper into the lineup. But Eric Hosmer has been a train wreck at the plate. Like he's been so bad hitting wise lately. And we'll talk about reasons why for that. But it's just been bad, and this lineup is not going to see its maximum potential if Eric Hosmer's batting fifth. I don't care how good he is with runners in scoring position. I mean, we've raved about him on the on the podcast with how how clutch he is. But it doesn't matter. Like he can't be hitting fifth at this point because it's just it's just not working. Things need to change in this lineup. And is it a coincidence that the Padres were able to score seven runs with him on the bench on Wednesday? It's probably not. It's probably not a coincidence if we're being completely honest with ourselves. You guys got anything else on game number one, or should we move on to game number two? Good to move on. Just a great game from fame in this game. Um, we talked about it. Uh, went two for four, a uh, single and a double, but he had a good game. Of course, getting um, he and uh, Grisham had each had a hit or each had a hit or two, pardon me, but just a great game from fam and love to see him hitting well up at the top. So let's move on to game two of the series. And Potters jumped out to a great start. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a home run in the first inning, drove in Manny Machado. So they started off poorly uh, in game one. They rebound. They both get on base with Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting the home run in the first inning. That's what they've been doing. They've been very consistent for the Potters. They have bad games and they'll have their good games. Like they'll, they'll even itself out. And that, that's what these two guys in the middle of the lineup or at the top of the lineup, uh, they're getting paid to do. And so that was very nice to see in the first inning. And the second inning, the Potters added on two more runs. Cronenworth uh, got on the third, and Profar got on the second when Profar got an extra base hit, which has been extremely rare for him. Talk about someone who's also struggled mightily at the plate. And 
you Darvish drove in Jerickson pro far for the Padres fourth run. And the Padres were up two to nothing at this point. And that was all that the Padres scored in this game. They only scored four runs. That's not going to win you a lot of games at Coors. And then you Darvish, his spin numbers, they took a dramatic hit, which he said he didn't change anything from what he had been doing. So we'll never really know if that's uh, if his spin rate numbers going down were because of you pitching at cores, which is obviously known for the other part of the cores effect is that your off speed pitches and your fastballs don't spin as much. Or if it was because you Irish was no longer using a foreign substances to move his pitches more, but you Darvish ended up surrendering four runs in five innings. He went out for the sixth inning and allowed a two run bomb to Ryan McMahon, who had a fantastic game for the Colorado Rockies. And then the seventh inning on Tim Hill, the Rockies were able to get across two more runs to take the lead. And then the eighth inning, all chances were lost for the San Diego Padres to come back and win this game. And when Emilio Pagan surrendered two more runs, which is a tough loss. The Padres had this game and they didn't keep their foot on the gas pedal and the Rockies sped by him. So really rough game. We'll go to Bobby this time. Just went to Evan first last time. Bobby, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, just the struggles from the, from the pitching staff, Darvish, five innings, four and runs, and then Tim Hill only throwing nine pitches, getting one out, allowing three hits and two runs. I mean, that really hurts, of course. And then Pagan allowing those two runs uh, to pretty much ice the game, um, if you could say that. But, I mean, just the pitching staff did not look good. Um, only getting seven hits and scoring only the first two innings. I love to see the early runs, but going seven innings at quarters without scoring, that will never cut it. You'll never win a game like that. And it's another tough game. Really, there's a lot of struggles from the pitching staff that hurt us. Yeah. Uh, for me, actually, the biggest thing, you mentioned Profar had a double. I don't think he should have been in the lineup. I think Will Myers should have been in the lineup. Coors Field is Will Myers' home. Like, he should – he performed so well there. I have his stats. 353 buying average, 401 on base, 647 slugging. Will Myers is terrific. Granted, he wasn't terrific this series. I think he had one hit in both of the games that he started. But clearly, Will Myers just is comfortable at course. Play him as much as possible. Profar in his last uh, seven games still has a worse OPS, so it's not like that. I don't think Myers has been overworked or anything. He's struggling in his own right, but if he's going to fix it at any time, it's going to be in course. Uh, that's that's just insane to me. That hurts a lot. You mentioned that Tim Hill, uh, he struggled, and I really can't blame Tim Hill uh, with Weathers being sent down, as we'll talk about later. He is our only lefty in the lineup, which is terrifying, and even then, he has reverse splits, so he's a lot better against right-handed pitchers. I, I can't blame the bullpen when the bats just aren't producing how they should. They've been the savior all season. Uh, the bullpen has been, yeah, I, I, I won Myers in the lineup for this game. So far, still did good. But it, it's just another game where you, you start great. There's that glimmer of hope that they're going to bounce back. And, you know, there's going to be the start of a good win streak and immediately faded pretty much. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree that it was odd that Will Myers got this day off. Because, I mean, I'm all for giving guys days off, making sure they're rested. It's 162-game season, but it just seemed like a really weird day to choose an off day for Will Myers, like you mentioned, on a place like Coors Field where he just absolutely dominates. And he played well in both games. I mean, he tallied a hit in both games. So 
it really didn't make sense. And he came off the bench and hit a ball, hundred hit a ball, 104 miles an hour. Unfortunately, it was a ground ball, double play, but he hit the ball hard. So uh, it, it was just frustrating. And yeah, this was one of those signs of the bullpen being a little bit worn out and they didn't pitch a ton on Monday, really only one inning pitch, which was Miguel Diaz who didn't pitch in the, in the next two games, but just over the course of the season, this bullpen has been worn out and it's because guys like Blake Snell, Denelson, Lamette and Ryan Weathers, you know, not, not to more of Weathers and Lamette's fault because they're kind of battling injuries more or less um, Ryan Weathers, but the starters just haven't been giving great innings and they've been, you know, for the most part, not allowing a ton of runs, but they haven't been giving great innings and it's taxed the bullpen. And you're finally starting to see it just a little bit. Adams came in and did his job. Craig Stammen came in and did his job, but Tim Hill and Emilio Pagan certainly struggled, uh, failing to f- complete their innings and giving up three hits and getting tacked with two earned runs. So that, that was not good at all. And it was just a frustrating game. And Chichi Gonzalez just hasn't been a great pitcher this year. And the Padres jumped out against him and they just couldn't do anything against him either. And the Colorado Rockies bullpen, which came into the season 29th in major league baseball and 14th in the national league, pretty much dominated the Padres. Like they only allowed like one or two earned runs on, they only allowed two earned runs on Wednesday. They didn't allow an earned run on Tuesday and they were only able to pitch one inning on Monday. And of course, Bard didn't do well in that game, but it, it was just mind boggling. that Those Potters offense couldn't take advantage of one of the worst bullpens in all of baseball at the most hitter friendly ballpark. That was playing even more hitter friendly this past series because the wind was consistently blowing out and it was hot. So the ball is traveling even more like the ball that Jake Cronenworth hit out had a batting average, had an expected batting average of 180. Like if that doesn't tell you how how well Coors Field is playing towards the hitters this weekend, I don't know what does. Like it's just infuriating to watch the Padres go out because we know how good this team is and we know how good they can be, and they just haven't been there. And it it, it a loss like this when you're up four nothing against what really should be a last place team is embarrassing and infuriating. And I mean the struggles we saw. I mean that we've been seeing th- throughout the pitch. Like in our cold streak, the pitching has been better. It's really been the lineup that's been struggling. Uh, but that, I mean, obviously that's the biggest issue. We'll get to that shortly. But there's just so many guys who aren't hitting, some guys who are. But I mean, it's just really been hard to watch. Just overall, don't know what's up with the hitting coach or what's up with just each individual guy in the lineup. But a few, like a few episodes ago, Dom had three guys as the Wildcat of the week. That's how bad we've been struggling. Um, and, but it's just really been tough. Yeah. Uh- that there's nothing that I can say that really adds to that. It, it's embarrassing. Uh, whenever we face the Dodgers, maybe, maybe it's that strong competition that brings us back to life. We, we've had these amazing series against the Dodgers. Maybe they taxed us early on. Uh, you know, we had, what, four straight extra inning games against the Astros or something like that. It was, we've had the battle. The team has had a lot of lengthy games. I've started to do a little bit of research myself. I've only compared the Padres lineup to the Dodgers, and I don't want to make excuses by any means, but Padres have had a 17-game series or a streak and a 20-game streak already. I don't think the Dodgers will have 
more than a 14 game streak all season long. And we're we're not even halfway there yet. On the same side of that coin, though, or on the opposite side of that coin, hopefully the Padres have a better second half. They are able to rest a little bit more. That could mean the bullpen's better. The team can just, you know, technically relax for the second half. Uh, they'll have more off days. That, that's the hope. I, I haven't done my full analysis of the schedule, but I'm a little bit ticked off at that right now, especially with the Padres team. Yeah, they didn't get any favors done to themselves by the people who made the schedules for the MLB season. But hey, I think this team's good enough to overcome that, and it should get easier. It expe- it was expected to start this past series, and unfortunately did not. And hopefully now that the Potters are coming home for a 10-game stretch before having an off day, they can take advantage of sleeping in their own bed and maybe start to perform a little bit better. That is my hope, at least. But let's talk about this third and final game, the game that we just saw finish. It was a rough one. The Potters dropped it. Eight to seven. They found themselves in the hole early after Blake Snell surrendered three runs in the first inning. The first two hits were doubles and they were not hit very well, but they snuck down the line against the shift by Rymel Tapia and Trevor Story. But then CJ Crone hit an absolute moonshot off Blake Snell to get them up three nothing. But the Padres responded in the third inning. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit his 21st home run of the season. And then Trent Grisham also hit a two-out, two-run home run to tie the game up. Unfortunately, the lead didn't last very long as the Rockies turned around and scored another run in the third inning to take the lead. But the Padres then turned around in the fourth and took the lead 5-4, to four, almost took the lead 6-4, to four, but Machado was thrown out at home on a base hit. And then in the fourth inning, the Rockies turned around and they took a 7-5 to five lead, and that was all Blake Snell had for the day he threw 75 pitches only 45 of them were for strikes three and a third inning nine hits seven earned runs two walks only one strikeout so Blake Snell's struggles on the road continue Bobby and I we talked about it on the last episode had an ERA above nine on the road which made no sense why the Padres opted to start him in in this in this game when they had the option to go with Lamette and Weathers and then Darvish but just more questionable decisions by the Padres and it absolutely cost them because Blake Snell was horrible in this game. But the bullpen, they came in and they shut the door. James Norwood came up and made his MLB debut with the Padres, his Padres debut, I should clarify that. He looked good. Faced two batters, got two outs, struck out a guy. Then Nabil Krizmat came in, two innings of relief. He continues to pitch well. I don't know why a lot of Padres fans hate him. He's basically the worst guy in the Padres bullpen. He's got a 3-0-3 ERA. Uh, he struck out two guys in two innings. Craig Stammen came in. He continued his successful season going one inning scoreless, no base runners. Pierce Johnson did allow two hits, but he got out of the inning, no runs. Mm-hmm. Then Austin Adams came in after the Padres tied the game up in the ninth. And unfortunately, Austin Adams did not retire any of the batters he faced. Leadoff walks come around to score 25% of the time in Major League Baseball. Unfortunately, it seems like they all come around to score against the Padres. And the Padres ended up dropping this game eight to seven. Really frustrating game. Evan, what were your thoughts? I'm just, I believe in Snell. So, so this is very frustrating, but he has not done like there's times in which I'm watching him. I'm like, yes, there you go. But he's wild. He's uh, inconsistent. He can give up the long ball. Like he's either throwing balls or balls in the dirt, or he's throwing a meatball. It feels like at times. 
the first two runs, I really don't mind. I was watching those. He he put inside uh, fastballs against people. We They worked it down the opposite line each time. We had a little bit of a shift where maybe if we didn't have a shift, we get to the ball, but it's one of those that's close. I don't mind those first two runs. But it's that CJ Crone at bat that kicks me off so much. He has him down 0-2. Then CJ Crone just fouls off everything. Like this is other teams, other batters look at the CJ Crone at bat and study it forever. Uh has him down 0-2 right away. Great. He starts fouling off some pitches. Then Blake Snell's throwing obvious balls. Right now, the MLB game day says that his fifth pitch, which was ball three, was in the zone. But then at the same time, baseball savant is saying that it was in the dirt. I can't really recall that exact pitch. But if it was in the zone, clearly, like game day says. It was It was just below the zone. Okay. But it was okay. a call that we've seen go against the Padres several times. So, I mean, I sat there and, I mean, I normally just say, hey, good pitch, you know, hang with them. But it, it was tough. Yeah, okay. So I I didn't want to fault the umpires, but I didn't want to also give a false impression of what uh, the things are saying. Uh, but he just worked it, and then his 10th pitch was just a pitch down the middle. Any, in cores with the conditions you were talking about, anyone taking a home run off of that pitch. Snell just, he, he needs to put away these batters when he has them on the ropes. Oh, two. To CJ Crone, I, Crone's been a lot better with the Rockies, but he's still a guy that you should be able to put away. Uh, he he's not an all star in my eyes. It, it pisses me off with Snell. Like I said, it, it was this is Paddock of 2020 right now. Is Blake Snell in his current form, where we've seen him do good, we know he could do good, but he is just doing horrible, and it's so difficult to believe in him right now. I mean, that's all I got. It's just a rant about Blake Snell. And the, we've been saying Snell at home is amazing on the road, tough. And in the last episode, I I was fine with starting him in Colorado. Uh, Dom was against it, as were a lot of people. Um, but I just want, wanted to see him bounce back on the road. I know in Coors, that's not the best spot to pitch in. Um, but I was just hoping he could go out there, have a good start, and get just some confidence back. And that was that was bad. He had an awful start. <laughs> Dom went over it, of course. You got Evan did as well. But, I mean, just it was just a, so hard to watch. And, of course – Adams later in the game. I mean, leadoff walks, like Dom said, scored 25% of the time. And that's what the, that's how the Padres got their rally going top nine to get the, to keep the game going. And we were able to get some walks, get some, get a clutch uh, sack fly by Grisham to tie it. Uh, fortunately, couldn't get the stranded guys in the second and third, couldn't take the lead. But I mean, just the leadoff walk, the steal, and the dribble over the middle, no, no chance at home on that play. But I mean, it was just another tough game. Hitting was great. I mean, Tatis, two hits. Manny, two hits. Grisham, two hits. I mean, every, a lot of the guys were hitting well. Uh, the only person that really struggled was, I mean, Rivas went over two. Hosmer, off the bench, uh, got out. Kim went one for three. Profar, I mean, he's really been struggling. It's been hard to watch to see Profar playing. Um, went one for five today, but he's really been struggling at the plate. Uh, Kim, I mean... I'm still not expecting too big things from him when he when he is hitting well. Of course, we love to see it, but but I mean, at least the bats were on today. Of course, it's cores, and it had to happen at some point. But this game on Wednesday just would have been a huge win going back home, hundred hundred percent capacity for a ten game homestand. Now we go back to hundred percent capacity at home. Just very very cold as a team. 
it's frustrating and I still can't believe they started still in this game. I mean, it just made no sense. Like, do they not look at the numbers and say, Hey, like it, we're, we're putting Blake Snell in a situation to fail by starting him at course field. And we've seen Ryan Weathers have success. He's been a much better pitcher than Blake Snell has been this year. No one's going to argue against that. And the fact that they decided to keep him in the bullpen. And I mean, I personally disagreed with the decision to go to a six man rotation, but once it was in that rotation, it didn't make sense to pull it away and then put Snell in a situation to fail because Blake Snow obviously sucked and it's his fault that he's been awful on the road. Not going to deny that, but the putters have to know that he's been bad on the road and it's their job as an organization and as the management to put their players in the best situation to succeed. And they frankly did not do that on Wednesday. And it's, it's angering because the Potters they should have won this game that they faced a pitcher with a two whip coming in. They scored seven runs. The offense did their job. Unfortunately, they missed out on a couple of opportunities, but the Potters offense did their job. But Blake Snow was so bad that he put the Potters in the hole. And it it's infuriating because we know how good Blake Snow can be. And we've seen it. We saw him go seven innings, one hit, zero runs against the Mets. We've seen him have two good starts against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Some people think they're the best team in the baseball. He's still good, but he's been so uncomfortable on the road. I just don't get it. It just made no sense. And, you know, you could have walked Charlie Blackman there in the ninth inning once Trevor Story already stole second base. I don't know if I would have done that, but it definitely would have made sense too. And it also would have made some sense to bring in Mark Melanson, who hasn't pitched in forever because the putters haven't had a safe situation since last Monday. I mean, it just made no sense. There were just so many question marks by this management. And I, I still think Jace Tingler is a good manager. Like the Potters were well above 500 last year. They're still significantly above 500 this year. Not saying Jace Tingler is a bad manager, but he has not been a good manager of late. He's certainly part of the reason why the Potters have struggled. And we're going to talk about the lineup. So let's get into that. You know, it's not a coincidence that the Potters had their best offensive performance the last two the last two times Fernando Tatis Jr. has not batted cleanup. He has guys behind him that can hit him in. He has a guy in front of him and Tommy Pham that's getting on base at a crazy high clip. Like he got on base twice in five at bats. That's a 400 on base percentage. Like it just makes so much sense to put Fernando Tatis Jr. in the two hole, but all these people are like he's hitting well in the fourth hole. I don't care if you're hitting solo home runs. I don't care. Now he hit a solo home run again today, but he also drove in Tommy Fan with a double and then got hit in by Manny Machado. Like, it just made no sense. They finally put him in the two spot, and it magically works. This isn't magic. It's analytics. It's logic. It's so logical to not bat him clean up. It just made no sense that the Potters just kept putting him in there, kept watching the lineup suck, and kept saying, well, we're, we're fighting through a lot of stuff. Or we're going to get through it. No, Jace. You need to change something. It is your job to put the team in the best situation to succeed, and you were failing at it. And you finally did it, and the past few times, the Potters' offense has actually been good. It's not a coincidence, and I'm sure you guys agree with me on this. Yeah, and, you know, with Tatis, he's a generational player. He's, yeah, just the best of all time. I could talk for hours, days, years about how good of a player he is. Padre fans are so lucky. Dom, was it you that tweeted out today that just like, where would the Padres be if they didn't fleece the White Sox? Was that your tweet? 
it, yeah. it was me. And then, I mean, someone else tweeted the same thing. We tweeted it at the same time. Uh, shout out to Dave Tatis the third. He has a lot of tweets about the Padres, but uh, yeah, I like genuinely where are, and sorry to like interrupt you. Where are the Padres? If they don't do, if they don't make that trade, like, where are they? Do they sign Manny Machado? Are they able to go out and like say, Hey, let's go in. Let's go try and win a championship. Let's go trade for Trent Grisham. Let's go trade for, for Tommy fam. Let's go trade for Jake Cronenworth. Like, are they going to go out and do that? Are they going to say, Hey, you know, let's go out and let's, let's go try and acquire Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell, you Darvish. I don't think so. I genuinely don't like the Padres could still be a dumpster fire if they don't trade for Fernando Tatis Jr. And the Padres scouting department deserves a lot of credit for looking at Fernando Tatis Jr. and knowing that he was going to be a special player. But like they got so lucky for how little they gave up for him and where Fernando Tatis Jr. is putting this team. And I genuinely don't know where the Padres are without him. Like the Padres could be awful. They really could be. Yeah, I agree. That's a mystery. But the point that I was about to drive home is we got to fix everything else aside from Tatis. Uh, to me, it like, yeah, placing him, I, I'm in the top three camp. I don't care. Uh, I'm looking at his stats. He does amazing buying first. Uh, he has a 1,255 OPS there. Uh, he has a 1.125 OPS in the fourth slot. Like in the second and third, he doesn't have enough at-bats to really say, oh, you know, this is the type of hitter he is there. And to be honest, I don't think that matters. Tatis is an amazing player. You could bat him in the ninth slot and he would just go off all day, every day. Like, he, that doesn't matter to him as much to me. It's the other players on the team. Uh, like, earlier in the season, you had Mateo was better. Profar was better. Kim, for his part, is heating up. But Hosmer was better. Myers was better. All these players, I'm just going on about how they were better in the beginning of the season. And now they're mediocre players. I'm done with the Hosmer experiment in San Diego. Um, you know, that was that was the first big signing. If we don't sign, you were talking about where we would be without Tatis. Uh, we signed Hosmer, and that was the proof that we could sign Machado, I think, that we were willing to spend big, that we really wanted to compete. Hosmer, I, I saw something last year. He had his lowest ground ball rate of his career, and he maybe had the best offensive season of his career. Now he's he had the best back. slugging percentage like of his career by a mile. It yeah. wasn't even close. In the one, just a little deep dive, a tiniest deep dive into it. His ground ball rate in launch angle, you know, the, uh, he started to hit the ball lower and lower, more on the ground, right at the tail end of the 2020 season, which for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, we just avoided disaster. Because what he's going to do is before he regresses to his old swing of hitting into the ground, he's going to have the offseason and he's going to work on this great launch angle swing that he has and he's going to come back and it's going to be even more permanent in 2021. Not even the case. I, I think he's almost competing for his career high in ground balls. I, it was some stat I saw on Twitter and I fully believe it because if you just look at Hosmer hitting it, Hitting a line drive chest high would be a miracle for him at this point. He's hitting it into the ground. He's not great defensively. I'm not going to go on that whole cast of L thing that, where he got mad, but first base is just a position to struggle, um, unless if you're playing Cronenworth at first base, but then who replaces him at second. Uh, so he needs to move. Kim Profar, that's not... Yeah. Don't want to think about that. Kim's doing better. I like how he's doing better. But then Will Myers, actually, the last time I was on the Padres, uh, on the, this podcast, sorry, 
we talked about how Myers was earning his contract. He's he got that higher paid here uh, from the back half of his contract because it's back loaded. And we're like, he's worth them every dime. But then over the offseason, I'm st- we still thought about trading him. He was still trade talks because he was great. Someone always had his highest. He- he's regressed back to the same player. He has a 700 OPS this season. Some people have speculated he's dealing with injuries. But at this point, like, I just I can't sit around and say, oh, that's okay. He can work through it. We don't have time. We want to compete for a World Series right now. And he's struggling. We need him to be that 2020 version, nor even close to that 2020 version. But he's nowhere close. Uh, he's maybe a 2018, 2019 type of version. And last year, I mean, we saw Myers, we saw Hosmer hitting the ball amazing. And coming into the year, a lot of people were saying, in the lineup, the X-Factors, of course, would be Hosmer and Myers. Because Tatis will do his thing, Grisham, Machado. But Myers and Hosmer, if they could, if they could slash still can match their 2020 production, that does wonders for this lineup. And for the lineup, I was thinking, like, if we can, like, with Grisham now back, if we had Fam, Grisham, Tatis, Machado for the top four, I'm fine moving Machado down to four. Fam's getting on base at a high clip. I'm fine with Tatis in the three hole, still getting up in the first inning. Move Hosmer down. And those are two guys on base who are, or the top three guys, even Machado at four, too. Those are huge steel threats, guys who can get on base, Fam and Grisham, and then, of course, Tatis in the three hole. I would like to see that if Tingler does looks at that at any time. I would love to see that top four. He's just got to change it up. And like I said, there's no reason Eric Hosmer, who now at this point is a 669 OPS, nice, should be batting fifth in this lineup. Like there's too many better hitters. And especially against a lefty, he's sometimes batting fifth. And he got the day off against Freeland and the Potters often stood well. Like it's not a coincidence. It really, it really isn't. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. I think Cronenworth gets the, gets this, uh, the day off against the lefty. And then they go to the bullpen for a ready. He comes in and he hits a home run. Like, see, it, it's stuff like that where it's like, Hey, good managing Tingler. Good job. But then he does some other stuff and it's like, Oh my God. Uh, it's just frustrating. The Potters will be fine. I hundred percent believe in that, but for now, it sucks. It, it's a lot of pain, and I'm sure you guys agree with that. You guys got anything else you want to talk about with the lineup before we talk about this upcoming series against the Red Hot Reds? Uh, well, not with the lineup, but Weathers was sent down in a, right. me, yes. a very surprising move. Uh, but are we good to talk about that now? Yeah, you can talk. I'll let you start. You yeah, okay. you brought it up. Well, so I, I had mentioned earlier that Tim Hills are only lefty right now in the lineup without or in the bullpen without Pomerantz. For me, Weathers, uh, there's been some signs where I, I'm okay with him in the pen for now. To me, that's where he was going to start because Morhan, if you remember, back with all our injuries, Morhan was supposed to be in the rotation to start it out. That was great. He's down with Tommy John. That's horrible. But our lefties have gone down. Pomerantz. I don't even think I started throwing on the mound yet. Uh, I think he's maybe supposed to start doing that this week. But we're down on lefties. Tim Hill has reverse splits. So we don't really have a threat against lefties. And uh, I- I'm getting nervous about that. I don't understand it. Norwood, who uh, got pulled up for him, you mentioned, did good. Like, I- I'm not going to complain, but we-, we need Weathers. Weathers is valuable to our team. He's producing. 
Uh, he's the lefty arm. He can fill some innings because Snell and Lamette cannot fill innings. He, if he's out of the bullpen, he eats three innings maybe a day uh, or uh, for a game. I, I'm okay with that. Uh, we need him back, though. I'm, I'm shocked that he's got moved down. Yeah, I mean, I was too. And I knew he was going to get sent down at some point just because I heard that the Potters were going to try and limit his innings to around 140 this year. Given that he stole a young arm and they want to, you know, they're, they they got to think long-term with Ryan. And so it made sense that he was going to get sent down at some point. But I also would have figured that they would have, you know, maybe waited a little bit. I also, like I mentioned, in case you guys didn't realize, I wanted Ryan Weathers to start game two of the series and you Dyer's to start the third game and then not Blake Snell to start the third game. But uh, if they would have done that and then sent him down today, I would have been like, okay, that makes sense. You know, they wanted another arm for the bullpen. But to me, it just, it didn't make a ton of sense. And like you mentioned, if they wanted to push him out into the bullpen, it would have been another option. Because like you mentioned, Tim Hill is the only left-handed pitching option for the Padres out of the bullpen right now. Still waiting on Paul Marines to get back. We've seen Nick Ramirez up a couple of times. And we're still waiting for Matt Strom to make his season debut as he had a knee injury. My expectations are much for him just because uh, knee injuries for pitchers can be kind of rough considering like them landing on it. In, and whatnot, but yeah, it, it kind of puzzled me, but I knew it was going to happen at some point just because they needed to limit his innings to think long-term with him. And I, I love seeing whether it's pitch for after Lamette because Lamette's not going to go deep in the games. He'll go maybe, I mean, four or five innings, uh, but sometimes if he goes three or four, we'll see Weathers go three or four, and it just it saves more of the bullpen, and it's the six-man rotation, but that six man, a lot of the time, Weathers will just come in after Lamette. And we saw that recently. We just saw that. And it looked and it looked good. Um, so I know a lot of people don't like the six man, but the six man rotation. But with Lamette Weathers going pitching together in a game, I like that a lot. I really like the combination of Ryan and Denelson. I just thought that it should have waited another turn in the rotation because, like I mentioned, Blake Snell should not have started on Wednesday. But uh, I don't. I don't need to keep beating that dead horse. So, Evan, do you have any more thoughts on the situation, or are we good to go? Move on into the Red Series. Uh, I'm good to move on. All right, let's move on. So the Padres now return home. They have a pretty short flight, which for them has been uh, a good thing because they haven't really had any short flights of late. Uh, everything's been kind of across the country. So this is a good thing for the San Diego Padres. The flight from Coors to San Diego is only about two hours and they'll be able to sleep in their beds tonight before the game against the Cincinnati Reds on Thursday. We're beginning a four game series against the Reds. The Reds, they are playing very good baseball as of late. All of a sudden they are above 500. They've won six straight games and now they will walk into Petco park to face one of the coldest teams in all baseball in the San Diego Padres starters on Thursday for the Padres. We got, Joe Musgrove on Friday. They got Chris Paddock on Saturday. Denelson Lamette and you Darvish on Sunday. These are not confirmed. I haven't seen anything from Jace Tingler's post-game press conference about that, but that is what ESPN has. If something changes, we apologize. That's what they have as of Wednesday at 4.30 in the afternoon. I mean, those are four pretty solid pitches for the San Diego Padres going out there. Uh, I'd say the four best pitchers the Padres have had this year. Maybe if you want to put Ryan Weathers in above Denelson Lamette or Chris Paddock, that's up to you. But those four guys have been pretty good. Obviously, Blake Snell at home has been really good. But 
Uh, the Potters should get four good chances with the win with these four starting pitches throwing out there. Yeah, I like what we're putting out. I mean, of course, the five, six guys we always see. Just, um, just no Snell the series, uh, which I won't say good, but actually no not good because we're at home. So, yeah, that Dom's whole rant, of course, if he doesn't pitch, he pitches at home. Exactly. Um, Self-explanatory right there. But, I mean, Musgrove, Pack, Lament, and Darvish, a lot of those guys have been pitching great. Darvish struggled in his last start. Musgrove's been having a lot of quality starts. Paddock as well, and same with Lamette. Uh, but Paddock's been looking very good, um, and we'll get to it later. But, I mean, this is a pretty tough Reds lineup with some MVP candidates in there. But I like what, what we're putting out on the mound. A lot of guys who haven't pitched him well recently, despite the Padres being cold. Yeah, uh, one thing that just while you guys were talking, I was looking up, we, we have the third lowest BAPID in MLB right now. Uh, we're well below 300. And really what this means just to me is the, the team's going to get better. Uh, let me look at the exact map. We're at 255. And I, I forget what the league average is. It sits around 300 uh, to 350 or probably closer to 300 looking at the leaderboards right now. We're getting unlucky. I, I don't want to use that as an excuse, but I, I see the team getting better. Um, and then the pitching. Pitching at home. They're not pitching in these different environments. You're going to have a home crowd with full capacity. Uh, I, I know Dom and I will be at some of these games, so that will be so exciting. I think there's just going to be this new energy coming into this homestand, and I'm really hoping that it changes things uh, for this team. They need it. Next week should be absolutely packed. I mean, this Fred series should be packed. It, it really should be, because uh, I know Thursday is going to be sold out, and then uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I mean, those are normally full games, so because they're on the weekend, but... Yeah, the Dodgers series will be good. And Jerickson Profar said post game that uh, they they need the the crowd behind them at Petco because they said, "Here's his quote: We need the fans' energy. We're going to turn this thing around. I promise you. We're too talented. I promise you." So I agree, Jerickson. I agree. But in the meantime, this sucks. The four starters that the Reds are going to be throwing out on the first game, they're going to have Wade Miley going. He has a 2.92 ERA on the year in 61 innings. He's been off to a very good start. That'll be a battle between two of the pitchers who have thrown a no-hitter so far this year. Is Wade Miley also threw a no-hitter. He'll be going up against Joe Musgrove. Going up against Chris Paddock will be Tony Santillan. I don't know if I got that name right. He's only made one start this year. He went four and two-thirds innings, only allowing five hits and one run. Did walk four guys and struck out five. So that'll be interesting to see how he fares against the Padres lineup. Against Nelson Lamette, he'll be going up against Vladimir Gutierrez who in four starts on the year in 23 innings has only allowed seven earned runs on 15 hits while walking 10 guys. So 2.74 ERA and a 1.087 whip. And then the last start will be made by Luis Castillo, who a lot of people, including myself, thought was going to be a Cy Young Award contender this year, has not had a great year. He's been doing a lot better as of late. But in 14 starts, he's thrown 71 innings, the 5.83 ERA, and a 1.57 WHIP. He's got 30 blocks and only 67 strikeouts. The strikeout numbers were expected to be much higher; they just have not been. So, what are you guys' expectations for the Padres lineup against these starting pitchers for the Reds? Yeah, I mean, in this, in the Reds' winning streak, their six-game win streak, they have not allowed more than five runs once. Uh, they only allowed that one time, but they had. Two games allowing one run, I think two allowing two or three, but they've been just the pitching staff has been great. The bats have been on. 
they've been a really hot team, of course, winning six straight games. But a lot of the guys in this rotation have been looking good this year. I know uh, Santillan only had that one start. Gutierrez has been looking good in this small sample size, but Miley's been pitching phenomenal. Castillo, like you just said, this year and last year, I keep thinking he'll be a Cy Young candidate. He has been absolutely awful. I think he has a two and nine record um, and he's just not been good. Um, and the lot, and I just keep, keep thinking that he will be good, but he is not. Um, but yeah, Miley's been having a great year. That'll be a great matchup on Thursday against Musgrove. Um, like you mentioned, the no, the two no hitters, but um, yeah, I mean, this is a tough Reds rotation. Some guys in there, not a lot of, of starts this year, but these guys have been looking good this year, uh, except except for Castillo. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. This is a battle of one team that's coming in really hot that had a lot lower expectations versus another team who's really cold, who had a ton of expectations for this season. It's going to be a battle. I'm trying to poke through some of these stats quickly and see, like, we don't have much experience against the Reds. It's difficult with a lot of these new players. We never played them in 2020. So it's tough to get this recency uh, of like direct matchups for these uh, Padres players. Uh, I, I'm just really hoping that we can hit them, hit them hard. Uh, this is what a four game series. If I'm not just blanking, get to their bullpen right away. That's always a strategy against every team, but you, you just have to execute on it. Have a good first game. I, I think we've lost like, all of our last first games, or at least it feels like to start a series, we start on a bad foot. Um, and then they won the opener of the Cubs series, but outside of that, it has been since the well, they won, they won the home, they won the opener in the past two home series, and then they won the opener against Houston, but lost it against Milwaukee at Chicago at the Mets and at Colorado. Yeah, well, that's a lot of reasons. That's- Still yes. not good. That's uh, sad. <laughs> That's frustrating. Uh, you said we've won our games at home, at least the first game in the series. Let's let's hope. Let's continue that. I just let's get a strong first win. San Diego's reopening day. How awesome is that going to be? I just I'm hoping the fans can just take it up a notch and help out the team. That's really what I'm depending on at right now. Uh, if the Padres are struggling, let's let's have some fans go and play first base. Potentially, they they could have better production than the hospital right now. Uh, yeah, and course, facts. <laughs> and of course, a lot of teams are are much better at home. Padres are twenty one and fourteen at home compared to seventeen and eighteen on the road. Uh, unfortunately, um, I mean, I'm still in Arizona. Uh, I was actually offered a ticket uh, behind home plate from an ASU friend on Sunday on Saturday, but um, I'm in Arizona currently, so. I'll be back at some point, and I'll be at Petco soon. Yes, I will be. I'll be at Petco Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, and then the following Saturday. So that'll be a fun homestand for the Padres for sure. And I just looked at it: the Padres' last seven home series, the Padres have won the opener in all seven of them, and that is the last home opener in a series that they lost was to the Milwaukee Brewers. So. Uh, it's been a long time, and I'm sure you guys remember that series. So it's been two months since the Padres lost the opening game of a home series. So uh, they hopefully they can turn it around on, on Thursday in front of a sold-out crowd. And I know that I'm going to be there, and it's going to be awesome. And we, we actually got upgraded seats for that game. We, we turned in tickets from later in the year to, uh, to have better seats. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be 
a lot of fun. Let's talk about this lineup for the Cincinnati Reds. Evan, like you mentioned, Bobby, like you mentioned, this lineup's really good. Like they're really good and they're highlighted by their two corner outfielders. And I mean, even their center fielder is having a really good year, but Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos are tearing the league apart. They each have batting averages above three, 344. Uh, and then I don't know if this is updated today because I, I believe the Reds played earlier today. Um, they did, they won, but these, the stats are not updated from Wednesday's games. They both have a batting average of over 344, uh, OBPs above 400 and slugging percentages over 600, which means both of them have an OPS above a thousand, which the only Padre to have that, I believe is Fernando Tatis Jr. And I can't confirm that, but I assume that he does after his two extra base hit performance on Wednesday. So they've been killing it. They've got a couple of other good bats in that lineup. Tucker Barnhart's been a pretty good catcher for them. He's got a 96 OPS plus, which as we know for catchers is pretty good. Joey Votto, he's been having a up and down year, uh, hitting for more power than normal, not getting on base like he normally does. Jonathan India was a former first round draft pick out of the University of Florida. He's been a good infielder for them so far. But the left side of their infield has been really bad. Kyle Farmer and Eugenio Suarez are both struggling. Both have OPS pluses below 62. So going to be interesting to see how the Potters approach this lineup because it's pretty top-heavy. But a lot of these guys are hitting better right now than they have been early in the year. And that's why they, of course, are winning more. So you guys got any other notes on this lineup? Oh, I mean, my, my one quick note. You mentioned Suarez is a dude not hot. But the dude just hits home runs. Uh, that's that's what he was potentially born to do. You know, he he was 49 home runs in uh, 2019. He had 15 in 2020. He already has 14 this season. Like, he might not beat you with a single or anything like that, but he's always a threat no matter what. Take him seriously. Please don't hit a home run against us. And he is pretty much home run or strikeout. He's uh, has 80 strikeouts and 242 at-bats this year uh, before um, the game on Wednesday. Uh, but so, yeah, it's pretty much boomer bust. Um, I mean, they have a, four guys in double digit home runs, Naquin, Winker, Castellanos, and Suarez. Suarez and Votto have been, I mean, still struggling more than usual. Votto's not like Thompson, not drawing as many walks as he usually does. There's a lot of guys in this lineup that are, that are scary to pitch to. Of course, there's the, Two guys, Castellanos and Winker, who are up there in the MVP race. Uh, and of course, it's June, but they've both been having phenomenal years. They're really good, and they're going to pose some big threats to the Padres for sure. Mike Moustakis, Nick Sainzel, those guys are expected to be two big contributors to the team this year. They're both on the injured list, so the Padres will catch a little bit of some breaks right there. Talking about the bullpen, their bullpen's been pretty bad, I would say. Their best reliever, TJ Antone, who is so good, and he had been just off to a great start. He is also on the injured list, so that's another player that the Padres will avoid. And it's obviously unfortunate. We don't want to root for injuries, but we can also acknowledge that it helps the Padres if they are injured, so that, uh, that'll that help the Padres. That's a really dominant right-handed arm that they won't have to worry about. Lucas Sims, he's their best right-handed reliever. Uh, he's not having a great year. And then they have two really good left-handed relief pitchers, Sean Doolittle and Amir Garrett, and neither of them are having a good year. So this bullpen seems like something the Padres could exploit. Uh, they do have a couple of young arms that they've been bringing up and down, 
that they've been trying to get innings out of, but they just haven't found any consistency out there. So we talked about the starting rotation and how they're throwing out guys that are doing well this year. And then Luis Castillo, obviously at any point in time can, uh, can dice you up for seven innings and 10 strikeouts, but the bullpen seems like something that the Padres can attack. And uh, we had seen them do very well prior to the series against Colorado, but that's not something they did against Colorado. So maybe they can change that against Cincinnati and get back to all of roots. What do you guys think about that? Hey, I mean, last series, I mean, in the last episode, we were saying Rockies, this will be where we turn it around. Um, obviously that did not happen. So moving on to the next one, hopefully we can stop the red hot reds um, at home. Uh, full capacity. We'll just, just flip the switch and uh, and just change change the season around. Well, not the entire season. Uh, of course, we're still nine games over five hundred. We'll just flip the switch, get some momentum, and get hot. Couldn't agree more. Uh, that's exactly what it is. This is a great team. We've seen them be great. You know, I we called it an early World Series against the Dodgers, and we took that World Series in quotes. Uh, so we know this team is absolutely great. We know what they're capable of. They're going through a cold stretch, and it sucks. But this happens. This is a lot longer season. If this was 2020, the season would already be over. I think you guys mentioned that on your last podcast, I believe. Uh, yeah, so we, we just have to be patient. The team's going to do good. They're going to perform how they always do. And just, let's just enjoy Tatis. Uh, I, I forget if we mentioned earlier in the episode, but he hit the fourth longest home run in MLB. Uh, the season longest of his career also yeah 477 with, with a with a little Coors asterisk next to it but uh still really cool hey i don't care when i'm looking at this leaderboard he's on number four <laughs> right exactly That's all that matters <laughs> yes there, there's no asterisk on that leaderboard but uh in my mind there of course will be one because the ball flies in course but yeah like you mentioned i mean fernando's gonna need to keep it up I'd certainly put him at second place in the NL MVP race right behind Jake DeGrom right now. But the stuff that he's doing is just absolutely incredible and really hoping it continues against the Cincinnati Reds. So that's all I've got. Do you guys got any more final notes? Bobby, we'll go to you first. You got any more notes? We'll just enjoy Petco this weekend, boy, uh, guys. Uh, Evan, did you say you are going or are not? I will be there Saturday. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the game I was offered a ticket to. So maybe I make a the late six hour drive back, uh, come back for the weekend. Unlikely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't drive six hours to watch this team right now. Oh, come maybe, on. Maybe, what about to get out of <laughs> I haven't been inside Petco besides, I'm besides like being in the outfield last year, but I just need to get out of Arizona for a few days. It's, it's getting hot. Uh, and I just, I miss San Diego. I miss Petco, and I just want to see the boys play soon. But when you guys go, have fun. Evan, you got any more final thoughts? Uh, I, I don't. Uh, I I'm excited. It will be my first game in Petco. I don't even know if I win in 2019. I know I was in uh, school in Arizona, like you guys currently are. So I think I went to two games there. But I I'm excited to be back. Let's let's just get some wins, please. Yes, Padres do need to win. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Devil's Talking Padres. As always, make sure to follow Bobby and I on social media. You can find me at DMSTAR19. You can find Bobby at BobbyMurphy2000. His sons are still waiting to see who their opponent is for the Western Conference Final. Chris Paul has COVID. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Yes, that uh, that is a certain... 
certainly unfortunate for the Suns. And then make sure to follow our guest, Evan, on Twitter, at EvanOfficial underscore. He is a social media manager for East Village Times. And uh, he was the San Diego State baseball beat reporter. But, of course, that season is now over. He did a great job covering that team over there. And he does a lot of writing for us at East Village Times. So, uh, as always, make sure to check out our work at EastVillageTimes.com as Devil's Talking Potters is an East Village Times podcast. There will be a new episode of the East Village Times podcast coming out soon. James and I, for some reason, our schedules just never work out. Uh, We're trying to record later this week and talk about the Padres' struggles, but there will be a new episode for that, so be sure to look out for that. We thank you all for tuning in. Let's hope that this homestand brings back the good Padres and the actual real brown Padres because this past two-and-a-half-week stretch has been really bad to watch. We thank you for tuning in, and as always, go Padres.